Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. Go to the book of Matthew this morning. That was a whole lot of information. Now, one more piece of glorious announcement before we dive in. We are switching the official version of Mariner's Church. And in terms of the version we use of the Bible, we're going to an updated version of the NIV. Now, Mariner's has been NLT, New Living Translation, for 12 years. They just updated uh, the NIV. We're going to switch to that, which means that I'm going to be using that one up here. I've been using it. I just haven't told anybody. Uh, But we actually are now going to do two things. We've got some on sale uh, out there, but we're also going to be starting to hand out these things. Now, let me be clear who these are for. If you're here and you're too cheap to buy one of these, okay, this is not for you, all right? If you come and don't bring a Bible, though, you can borrow one, follow along in the scriptures, all right, and then give it back. If you're here and you're dirt poor or you don't have a Bible at all, this is yours to keep. What we want to do is we want to get rid of these to the right people and not to those of you that have four Bibles at home already, all right? Are we clear on this? So, uh, and and we'll start giving page numbers, because our goal, even though we put stuff on the screen, is that every single person will get used to flipping around the text, seeing it for themselves, because we are people of the book, as we are described other places. So, grab a Bible, let's go to the book of Matthew, and if you want to journey into this sweet blue Bibles, all right, and we all know blue is God's favorite color, because he can make the sky any color, what color do you make it? He could make the water any color. What color did he make it? No, it was clear, but I, I appreciate you trying. Now, Matthew 25. For those of you that are, raise your hands if you need one. Look at these. Look at these Bible hander outers. Do you see? I mean, they've gone through training. That we've taken insurance out in case somebody gets hurt if they throw one. Look at, oh, Nice. Okay, and, and listen, Jesus smiles. You can't throw their hardcover. You can't throw them. My goodness. How are you guys doing? Are you so happy you're in the front row? You're not? Okay, okay. You ducked. Okay, good, good. Would you rather be up here? Am I all right? Because I'll go up there if I have to. All right, now listen. Let's do a little primer on Jesus. Matthew is one of four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now there are lots of others. These are the four authoritative ones. Matthew is Jewish, writing to a Jewish audience, arguing that Jesus is the promised Christ. The word Christ isn't Jesus' last name, as we always joke around. Uh, That is his title. He's anointed one. He's Messiah. Matthew's agenda is to show how this Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment of of generations of promises given to the people of God Israel through the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And there were two streams of promises that were made. One stream was that the Messiah would come and establish a glorious kingdom like David's kingdom. He would come to be a son of David. He would come and he would would, um, dismantle God's enemies. He would elevate Israel over the nations. He would inaugurate a messianic kingdom and age of peace and shalom throughout all creation. The other strand was that there would be suffering. The the Messiah would suffer somehow uh, for the sins of the people. And uh, in fact, those strands were so different that some rabbis uh, in the first century taught there were two messiahs that were expected. Jesus of Nazareth shows up 
And unmistakably, he's doing messianic things. He taught with an authority that was unique. He healed without having to uh, do incantations or formulas. He cast out demons just simply in virtue of his word. I mean, there were these things that were happening. People, there was this buzz surrounding him in Israel. But at the same time, there was lots of confusion about him, right? He would tell people at times to not tell anybody about the miracles that he would perform. He would teach about the coming kingdom. Instead of glorious power, he would use images like mustard seeds and a little bit of leaven. Hiddenness and smallness were the images sometimes that he would use. And as people became aware of his power and authority, often he would withdraw from them lest they misunderstand the kind of Messiah he was to be. In fact, when his disciples in Matthew 16 finally understand he is the promised one, the first thing Jesus does is tell them not to let anybody else know. And then he begins to teach them that he was going to suffer and die. And that was so foreign to them because while Jesus was clearly doing some of the Messiah things, at the same time, where's the dazzling glory? Where is the the expulsion of Rome from Israel? Where, Where is this peace that was so promised? And so people were really confused about this Jesus. And the closer and closer he gets to his crucifixion, he not only is preparing his followers for his death, He also talks about his resurrection, but then he talks about a delay between him being here now and him coming back in the future. So instead of two messiahs, you have one messiah twice. And this was horribly confusing back then, like it's totally clear today, right? And and what Jesus begins to do in the book of Matthew is he prepares his disciples for a delay in his returning. Number one, that he's coming again, but number two, there'll be a delay between now and then. And so the parable we're going to look at this morning is a parable about that delay. So all of that was background to get us to Matthew 25, page 806 in the Divinely Blue Bibles. Matthew 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough oil for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord. They said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And then Jesus ends on this kind of happy note. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, can everyone agree that is perfectly clear? (laughs) What in the world is going on? I need an engaged couple. Is there an engaged couple in the house? You two? Okay, I'm glad you're sitting next to each other. That's good. Come on up. Okay? You don't have to be engaged any longer. Uh, No, I'm just teasing. Okay. What's your name? Todd. Todd? Yeah. And? Paula? Yes. 
Okay, now Todd and Paula. Keller, oh yes. Okay, now I'm going to need you two to sit up here and look engaged. Okay, so Todd over here, Paula over here. All right? No, you're over here, Paula. Todd, you're over there. That's, that's important because I will get lost. All right, now you've got to scoot back a little bit. All right, now we're going to do a little bit of Jewish uh, wedding cultural history to kind of understand what Jesus is saying. Because would you agree there's some sort of wedding thing happening when we're talking about virgins and bridegrooms and lamps and processions and stuff like this. So these two have volunteered with great joy, right, to, to reenact some Jewish background. Now, what would happen is you guys would, uh, your families would get together and arrange this marriage. And part of the negotiation would be uh, the arrangement of a bride price because this family's losing you, which is a big deal, and this family's gaining you, which is a huge deal. So this family would pay that family a bride price. Once that was arranged, there would be a betrothal ceremony. This young man would take a cup of wine and he would bring it to you and offer it to you. Some think that what he would say in those moments is this is the covenant I offer you in my blood. Interesting, because Jesus uses some, some of that language. And he would offer you this wine. Now, if you accepted the arrangement, you would take the cup and you'd drink. If you did not, very subtly, you would throw the cup down. <laughs> All right? Let's say you say yes. And when are you guys going to get married? September. That seems like a long time. Okay. I am licensed in the state of California to do weddings. You were going to ask me? Well, that's so nice. Let's go right now. You say, okay? All right. Here we go. Now, your families may hate me, but okay. Now, let's say you say yes, hypothetically. What would happen is that he would then say to you, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. What he would do for the next almost a year is he would go to his father's house and he would add a room on. It was a compound called an insula. And so you would have a courtyard and you would have rooms around this courtyard. And what he would do is he would literally, yeah, scoot that way. I don't want to scoot a little more, more, more. Thank you. I don't want to rob these people of the joy of seeing my legs. Now, you got to keep them awake somehow, bro. You know what I'm saying? Sometime I will go shirtless. We'll just kind of see. I know. Come on. DeVries. Now, be glorious. What you would do is that you would go and literally prepare a room for her where you and she would live. And, and so literally when Jesus in John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many rooms. That's all bridal language. That's a bridegroom speaking to a bride. So he's using this imagery. And furthermore, he could not pick the day of the wedding. The father, only the father had the authority to call the wedding feast. And so literally when Jesus says things like, the son doesn't know only the father about his return, I mean, that's all like bridal imagery. So you would spend almost a year building this house and your work, your love for her would motivate you to complete that thing as soon as possible. You would be with your family learning whatever it was to run a household back in those days. Now, let's say the father, you know, a year in, father looks at you and says, it's time. You send a runner to her house. I'm on my way. Okay, and then what you would do, now you get, this is where you got to get up. 
okay? And I want you to walk around very slowly, up that aisle, around the back, and then down this one, okay? Walk? Yeah, just walk, okay? Can you do that? All right, just walk. Now, what he would begin to do is he would begin to go through the streets of the village and he would gather people around him. And he would be making a ton of noise, totally rowdy, absolutely fired up. And he would, he would take the longest route possible to go get the bride. Because he's literally letting every house, every street, every little nook and cranny in that village know he's going to get her. Okay, now stay right there for a second. Okay? So... As he's walking, literally, friends, family would be joining him. They'd all have these lamps because you do it in the evening when it's not so hot. And literally, he'd have a whole procession that was noisy and rowdy and fun. What she would be doing when she heard that he was on his way, she would gather bridesmaids around her. And those bridesmaids would come. It was a huge honor to be part of a processional like this. So the bridesmaids would gather, and they would all have lamps. And their job was to wait until the groom came and got her. And then their, her procession would join his procession, and they would take their sweet time going all the way back the slowest way possible to his house, where a feast consisting of three to seven days would commence. All right? Now, Jesus' story is that the bridegroom sent a runner to the bride. He's coming. Ten bridesmaids gather. The groom, however, what's it say? Is a long time in coming. So they fall asleep. Now, sometimes in Jesus' parables, falling asleep is bad. In this case, it's nothing. It just means the bridegroom was delayed. He took his sweet old time getting there. And everyone fell asleep. Now, when he's close, he sends another runner. I'm almost there. They wake up. They get ready. The ten get their lamps out. Because their job is to lead a processional with her and him and his crew all the way back to the groom's house. Five of them brought extra olive oil to do this. These were probably sticks wrapped in rags covered in olive oil. And that would burn for just so long, and then you'd have to redouse them. So five of them had extra, five of them didn't. And you have to understand culturally what an offense this would be to not be prepared to proceed with her in the proper cultural fashion. So the five who don't have any oil say to the five that do, can we borrow yours? And the five that do say, no, because then none of us would have it, and she would literally be without a processional as she goes back. Like, it would have been a huge cultural offense. So five of them leave. Then the bridegroom shows up. Five are going to buy oil. You go get him. And I now pronounce, you know, I don't really. Okay? And then you, although you don't have to do this, would take the long way back. All right? So you guys can go back to wherever you were. Thank you very much. Excellently done. So do you see Jesus is, is borrowing this very cultural understanding of how marriage works to show this parable. The point of the parable is that five of them were prepared for a delay and five of them were not. And so the five that had to go get oil somewhere else show back up. They've missed the processional. They knock on the door and the door shut. 
And they say, well, can we come in? And, and Jesus has the, the groom utter words that Jesus himself talked about in Matthew 7. I never knew you. And then he kind of gives this, so be alert, because you don't know the day or the hour. All right, so, are you with me on the understanding of the parable? We good? Now, two themes in this that are absolutely critical. Bible, drums, thank you. Oh, you're so good. You knew exactly what was happening. Now, two themes in this that are really critical. Theme number one is the idea of delay. Remember how we began with the idea that people thought Jesus was coming once, the Messiah was coming once, and the whole thing would be done. Jesus is now talking about, and he's using parables to illustrate the fact that he's there now, he'll leave, and then he'll come back. And he does this a bunch of different times. If you flip back to Matthew 21, just real quick, we're going to look at just a couple of passages, like super fast. Matthew 21, I mean, verse 33. So listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented it and moved to another place. So the image of the kingdom is of somebody who comes and establishes something, and then he leaves, having entrusted it to some people. And he comes back later in the parable. Go, if you would, uh, to Matthew 22. Verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. The son doesn't show up in the parable, but it's, it's assumed that he'll be there shortly. Or go to Matthew 25 again. We'll look at this one next week. Verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned. You see what Jesus is doing? He's here, he's going away, and he's coming back. He keeps telling stories, parables, giving us pictures that there is this delay between what he's doing then and the consummation of this kingdom he's inaugurated. Are you with me on the delay part? Now, as Americans, how good are we at waiting? <laughs> Horrible. There's a clock in one of my favorite drive throughs that counts how many seconds you've been waiting at the window. That thing ever hits 1.30, I am ticked. Right? <laughs> fast food has to be under two minutes for it to really count as fast. I mean, it's, it's, we're insane when it comes to this stuff. So on the one hand, Jesus is instructing people about the delay in his return. Nothing happened, God's still real, and he's coming back. But on the other hand, the other theme in his parables, this section anyway, is the theme of surprise. That, yes, he's coming back, and you're not going to know exactly when. And the invitation of the parable is to hold both of these in tension. On the one hand, we're not surprised that he's delayed. But on the other hand, we live with this anticipatory preparedness, ready for his return any time. For some of us, this wars against the apathy you and I have because of our assumption that tomorrow is guaranteed. Right? I mean, we naturally, I mean, I hear this all the time. When I'm older, I'll get serious. I want to have fun now when I'm older. 
I'll get serious about my faith. I'll take care of it next week. I'll get on it next year. We kind of live with this presumption of more time. And as a result, many of us live totally apathetically about the things we supposedly care about most. There's no sense of urgency for many of us. And we just assume tomorrow will be just like today. And the scriptures clearly over and over and over remind us that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And what Jesus will do is not in a guilt way or a fear way, but he will just simply say, he is the God of second chances, but at some point the door is closed. At some point, you're for or against. At some point, second chances, we, we're done. You, and you see this in his ministry all the time, right? It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you call yourself, it, how big you've screwed up. He is calling to himself anybody. God will find every heart open to him. You do not have to worry about that. You do not have to worry about God damning people to hell because they never heard or the missionary screwed up. You don't have to worry about that. He is good, holy, and fair. Right? End of story. But at some point, the door shut. And so we don't guilt people with that. We don't shame people with that. But there is a holy urgency that the people of God should have. That tomorrow isn't guaranteed. That I tolerate all kinds of junk in my life thinking I'll take care of it tomorrow. And something like this, Jesus is saying, don't live in this constant state of paralyzed, like red alertness. It was okay that the wise and foolish virgins fell asleep. Right? Life goes on in delay. But the invitation is to live in such a way that when he returns, you'll welcome his returning at that moment. I mean, I used to hear this all the time in the little church I grew up in. If Jesus came back and you were doing that, how would you feel? <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. I just, I knew it ruled out a lot of the stuff I thought was fun, right? <laughs> and I don't know, Jesus doesn't talk about it that way. I mean, it's not like he's, because remember, there is no condemnation for the bride. You know, if you've really given your heart to him, there's no condemnation. But on the other hand, there is an urgency. Ladies, did I say something? I'm just teasing. Bless you. My heart, my heart hurts a little. You think anyone else will get up now? Probably not. It's okay. All right, um, what were we talking about? Urgency and preparedness, thank you. All right, so we've made that point. Now, for some of us, and then, by the way, that's where I'm at. Like, on the surprise or delay side, I, I just find myself very much um, just assuming I got all the time in the world. And what God keeps bringing up to me is the sense of urgency. I mean, I had somebody pray, and I'd never even thought of this. They were like, pray, they, they prayed for me that I would preach like it was my last sermon. Now, if that were true, we'd be here a long time. <laughs> but I got the point of what they were saying. Like, I don't think of life like that. I just think of tomorrow, an endless stream of tomorrows. And there's this sense that I want to be recaptured out of apathy and into urgency. 
But for others of us, the delay part is the killer. For some of us, sitting and waiting on God is the hardest thing. And can I agree? Can I get an amen? Can we agree that God does not move fast? Can I get an amen? I mean, when he moves, it's awesome. But it seems like he always waits till the last possible second and then adds a bunch. And then he shows up, right? I mean, there's this, there's this sense that many of us live waiting. And there are many reasons why there's a delay. Jesus talks in one of his parables in Matthew 13 about wheat and weeds. Good crops and bad crops that grow together. And the master says, don't root up the bad. Because in doing so, you'll hurt the good. And so there are these reasons. Second Peter talks about the reason God delays is because he wants all to repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so there are good reasons he delays, but what's the risk of delay? That his people will lose heart. That his people will just grow cold. That his people, because if I don't get my food in two minutes, I'm frustrated. Or if, the, if, if I have to wait at a series of 30-second stoplights, I'm frustrated. Or, I mean, that those kind of people look at him and go, well, where are you? How come you're not doing this? And so, so much of the Bible is exhorting the people of God to trust and to faith and to perseverance. None of those things I want. If there were a surefire way to get God to do what I want, when I want, and how I want, I would not tell you. I would be doing it, you know, I would, I mean, I would, my idolatrous, petty, sinful heart would love if I could manipulate him that way. But instead, he delights in reminding me, be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Wait. And so for some of us, we're tempted during the wait to just lose heart. He won't keep his promises. He's abandoned me. For some of us this morning, urgency. But for others of us, we just need to be reminded of hope. I have a friend who's uh, struggling with some stuff, big stuff. And she comes to me quite often, and she asks one question, and then she leaves. She says, will it always be this way? One question. At least once a week. Will it always be this way? Sometimes an alarm goes off and it's Jesus returning. I love how all the people are looking at each other. I'm waiting. That's right. It's a vine wait. Ladies! Hallelujah! Oh, my heart is blessed. All right, now, I'm so sorry, by the way. I will, all right. Is the alarm still going off? Really? I mean, I can cover it. It's just funny. Everyone's looking over there. Let's talk about patience for a second. So she says to me, will Will it always be like this? 
And what can we say? No, it won't, right? I'm trying to wrap up. It's emotional. So, <laughs> so for some of us, I mean, the urgency thing is the thing. For others of us, the waiting thing is just absolutely brutal. You literally need someone to just come alongside of you today and say, it won't always be like this. And, and we can agree beyond a shadow of a doubt that it won't be. Because we believe God heals and delivers and restores and rescues now. And we also believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus will come to consummate his kingdom, and when he does, tears will be wiped away forever, sin and death will be extinct, and we will spend forever in a new heaven and a new earth. And by the way, that isn't a floaty, harpy place somewhere else. That turns out to be living human lives with new bodies, seeing Jesus face to face, doing human things. And it just so happens to be so great, you won't notice that eternity is passing. Right? I mean, the things that we do now that we love and we don't ever notice time passes, isn't that a great picture? So it is absolutely right and proper for the people of God to yearn for that day when God has said enough. No more rapes, no more murder, no more wars, no more earthquakes, we're done. We yearn for that day. And there are many of us who just need to be reminded that day will come. It won't always be like this. And so we live in the now and the not yet. That God rescues and redeems and delivers and strengthens now. And we wait for his glorious return. So the thing that I felt like God put on our heart for this weekend was to pray for those who are losing heart. And that is never a bad thing. We believe very, very firmly that the ministers of the church are the people. And so the last thing we ever want people to think is that the paid professionals are the ones who do ministry. No, no, no. The picture the New Testament gives of a church is of, that of a family who ministers to each other. And so I feel like there are some of you here who are in the delay and the waiting is causing you to lose heart. And we just want to pray for you this morning. And we do this every now and again. If you're new to church, this shouldn't freak you out. But we're actually going to have you in a moment just stand up right where you are, if that's you, and we just want to gather around you and pray for you. And I know it's shocking. It's like people ministering to each other. It's crazy. It's a ridiculous idea, I know. But we believe that the best picture of the church is of brothers and sisters interceding on behalf of other brothers and sisters, ministering to each other. So if you stand up, people are going to gather around you. They're not going to ask you to share the deepest sin of your life. They're not going to judge you because we've all been in those places. They're not going to do anything crazy. They're just going to pray over you. They're not going to pray to fix you. They're not going to pray that somehow you get the sin out of your life. They're going to pray that you would be still and know that he is God. And that he would allow you to persevere, to increase your faith, so that you would believe it won't always be this way. That's what we're going to do, all right? So, uh, if, if you're here and, and you're, you're losing heart, or you're tempted to lose heart, 
you've got something sitting over you and the waiting is agonizing. Would you just do a very courageous thing? Would you stand up right where you are? And we're just going to pray for you. I appreciate your honesty. Thanks for being honest. No one's looking at you thinking you're crazy. Anybody else? We just want to gather around you and pray. We're not going to embarrass you. We don't want to hear about your deep, dark secrets. We're not even going to pray that God do something because he's clearly already doing something. You wouldn't be standing up in front of a room full of strangers. So the faith that leads you to stand up, the desperation that leads you to stand up, we just believe God's going to bless. Anybody else? Thank you. I know it's hard. Now, if you're seated, if you love Jesus and you breathe air, you are commissioned as part of our prayer team this morning. If you are new to Jesus, new to church, or just uncomfortable doing this, please stay right where you are. Nobody's going to care. But if you're seated and you breathe air and you love Jesus, I want you to find, I want you to identify some folks next to you, and I want you to gather around them, and I want you to put a hand on their shoulder, and I want lots of you around these folks, and I want you to begin to pray, okay? So, pray ease. Those of you standing, would you just close your eyes and would you just receive whatever God would do? Pray errs. I'd like you to get up and I'd like you to gather around folks, if you would right now. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I'm going to pray for you, and then you'll pray for the folks gathered around you, okay? Lord Jesus, by the authority of your name, we ask that your spirit would come and reveal your heart to your sons and daughters who are in a place of waiting, who are being called to rest in the knowledge that you keep your promises. I pray that you would increase our faith, and I pray, Jesus, by your authority, that you would wage war against our adversary who will tell us that you are not faithful, who will tell us that you have abandoned us, who will tell us that you've left us alone. Jesus, we want to be people marked by hope, the hope of now and the hope of later. And I ask you, on the basis of your mercy and your love for your children, would you breathe hope that it just won't be this way forever? And that, Jesus, you have a glorious future and a deep and meaningful present in mind for your kids. So would you guide our prayers, Jesus, as we lift them to you? Now, brothers and sisters, would you just begin to pray out loud over the folks you've gathered around and just very gently ask God to come and bring comfort and to bring hope, to bring healing, to breathe faith. So begin that if you would. We'll take a few minutes just to do that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.